So welcome to Square Talk, the podcast for Freemasons or anyone with an interest in Freemasonry. This week we're continuing our look at themed lodges and in particular military lodges. Joining me today are two of the founding members of a new lodge in the province of Leicestershire and Rutland, Phil Hurst and Jem Langley from the Tudor Rose Lodge, number 5660. Morning, guys. Morning, Richard. Before we start to look at the lodge itself, and I really do want to delve into that, first of all, both of you, can you tell me a little bit about your Masonic journey so far? You know, what lodges have you been in? What orders are you in? Well, I'm quite a late starter to Freemasonry. I didn't join until May 2010. I initiated into St. James's Lodge. Uh, became wishful master there in 2017, which is when I first met Jeff, and we were both sat next together at Provincial Grand Lodge. I'm also in Holy Royal Arch, and I'm the most vice sovereign of my ancient accepted right chapter. And of course, I'm also the current wishful master of Tudor Rose. I'm, uh, I've been in a little bit longer than Phil. I joined um, in 2004, if memory serves. Uh, it was initiated into Granston Lodge, um, which is, as a Lewis, my father um, has been in that lodge for an awful long time. I uh, was Worshipful Master in 2017 and 2018. I did two years on the trot. I'm um, in Granite Chapter, and um, that's really, oh, and I'm also in um, the lodge of Derek Boswell Lodge of Provincial Grand Stewards. That's yes, you, you certainly are, because that's where we, I guess, our, our paths crossed a little bit more than usual as, a, as the first provincial grand stewards, weren't we? Absolutely, yes. Now, tell me about your military career, guys. So tell me what you're in, how long you're in for. Army for me, 11 years in the army, predominantly with the Army Air Corps, which was anti-tank and wrecking helicopters, basically a, an infantry carried by helicopters, protecting the air bases and going out doing the wrecking and stuff forward observations, that kind of thing. The latter part of my career, I went to the veterinary corps as a specialist dog trainer and arms and exposure search dog under three years in Belfast. Uh, I left the army trying to save my first marriage because my first wife wasn't cut out to be an army wife and wasn't enough company on tours again. One of the biggest mistakes ever made in my career. <laughs> tell me about the, uh, the air corps, Phil. Did you do any flying or, or, or not? Unofficially, yes. <laughs> okay, well, I'll leave that there then. Jem? Yeah, I was in the uh, Royal Army Medical Corps for more than 10 years. I was um, an officer. I left as a major. I saw active service in Northern Ireland for three years, uh, Sierra Leone. We were looking, we had postings to Cyprus, which is where my wife and I got married. She was a corporal at the time, so we were the first couple that were allowed to remain in the Army with a commissioned officer and a non-commissioned officer. And I finished my career working as the head of physio down at Headley Court. And then I left purely because my lad was growing up and I was spending more and more time away. And I was missing it, to be honest. So it was a family first side of things. We've got other themed lodges in the province and are themed lodges in Freemasonry all over, whether that be rugby, whether that be football, or shooting as well. Where did the idea for Military Lodge come from? I first got this idea together because Freemasonry in a way is quite similar to the military. 
you've got a similar kind of structure inside a lodge with your officers. Your wishful master would be like the OC of the unit. You've got your two wardens who are directing his orders downwards. You've got them directing down to the deacons, who would be like your section corporals, fishing it out for everybody else. You've got your DC, who's your regimental sergeant major, your secretary is the adjutant, your treasurer who's the PRI and inquest manager. You've got your uh, armament, who would be the welfare officer. So it's all very similar. And if you equate it as well to the festive board, they're very similar to mess dinners. Although, right. although some of the things that go on at mess dinners, you wouldn't particularly do at a festive board. Are you going to go into that or, or do we leave that for another time? I can tell you one of the things is that when you're having your cocktail drinks, you always make sure that you grab a wine bottle because one of the one of the rules is that the mess president has to get up from the table first. So if you were going to go to the toilet and he's not got up, you need to relieve yourself in some way. And having a wine bottle underneath the table is quite handy. Excellent bottles on the table. I mean, the, the, the whole of the military, as Bill said, it does fit. It, it is an absolute very, very similar setup to Freemasonry. It, the whole ethos is there. It's looking after your pals. It's being together. And one of our guys who is um, from the Royal Artillery, he said that, in his mind, Freemasonry is the closest he's ever felt to the military since he's left. It's that fraternal, that feeling of looking after one another and being with good pals. Yeah, add on to that. When you leave the military, particularly if you come from an operational function, it's a massive wrench from your life. You've just spent a good part of your life around other guys who lay their lives on the line for you. You've had some really dangerous encounters and you've had some really enjoyable and memorable incidents and yeah. experiences with them. And it's like being divorced or losing a member of your family. Suddenly, you walk out the gates and you're no longer part of it. So it's a big wrench. There's an enormous amount of ex-military on the streets these days who have lost a big part of their lives. And to my mind, if you can get them into Freemasonry, it would get that, it's hard to put a word on the description of the experience of being an ex-soldier or ex-military, but you can get that back into them by joining Freemasonry. I think it would do a lot of them in the world of good. Bringing on an esprit de corps that you have naturally within the service lifestyle, which is missing in civic street, to be honest. You just don't feel it in any other job. It is standalone, and it is, as one of the guys says, it's the closest that you've got to the military is Freemasonry. I can equate that a bit. When I left trying to save my first marriage, my ex-wife and my children were living with her parents. And when I was coming out, she went to try and get us on the housing ladder and was told her and the kids could go into a hostel and I'd have to sleep on park benches because we made ourselves deliberately homeless. So when you come out of the military from having that family that looks after you, suddenly you feel unwanted, that nobody cares. I can see the alignment and you clearly had an idea. There's alignment between Freemasonry and the military, but then there's a then there's a huge gap between having that alignment and actually having a military lodge. So you had the idea. How did you turn it into a reality? What process did you go through? It all started around 2016, mid 2016. I just happened to be at London Road one afternoon and walking down the main corridor from reception, bumped into Bill Caswell, who I know from the police, but we both served together. And I knew that he'd got some connection with military. And I just mentioned to him about the idea of a military lodge. And he'd had exactly the same idea. After a couple of matters, we parted our ways and went off. Nothing happened for months. And then early in 2017, I thought, I rang Kelvin Johnson, who was Provincial Grand Secretary at the time, and uh, asked for an appointment, went in to see him. And as luck would have it, in the middle of explaining my thoughts to Kelvin, 
in what David Haggard, who was provincial grand master at the time, he joined in the conversation and was very, very supportive. Set me up with a couple of tasks to prove the worthiness of the idea and how we could sustain it. Submitted that to him and didn't hear anything for a while. Then June 2017, down at uh, Grand Lodge in London, sitting having dinner in Woolworths with Kelvin and David Haggard across the table from us. And David just said, what's happening with my military lodge then? How's it going on? And that was it. That was the big ball rolling then. I think we had 85 registrations of interest with around 36 people wanting to be found and members. We put together a steering group, which Jem was part of. That was the, direct, the, the direction we went into. We were initially looking to go for a new warrant, so petition for a new lodge. And then Kelvin came up with the idea, why don't you look at a removal? We had a couple of lodges from the province who expressed an interest in us wanting to take them over. But we decided against that, purely because if you imagine somebody taking over your lodge, how are you going to feel about it when we start changing how we do things? In, in Tudor Rose, we do emulation ritual, but it's done differently. I think it would have been problematic to have taken over lodges in this province. But going back to the original side of it, Kelvin founders Lee Lodge in Warwickshire, who was a very, very old lodge. But problems arose with that because they got various trusts attached to their finance, which would have been difficult to transfer over. That all fell by the wayside. But luckily, we fell on a feet when Tudor Rose came along. Kelvin sorted out all the paperwork. David was very, very helpful. Warwickshire's provincial grandmaster was all for it. Paperwork all got done. And we basically fell on our feet because we are not the expenses of a petitioning for a new lodge. So this, so this is why your lodge number is 5660 as opposed to 9-something then? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So who, who are the members of Tudor Rose Lodge? I'm not asking you to name them all, but are they all military? What sort of background do they have? Do you include you know, reserves, cadets and other such arms of the services? Absolutely. Um, we are... Again, Freemasonry being inclusive. We've got the all the Army, Navy, Air Force, hoping to try and get hold of a couple of Royal Marines, aren't we, as well? Yeah, <laughs> get them involved as well. There's cadets, there are um, the reserves, as they are called now, which to the old duffers like myself, they were called Territorial Army, but they've obviously changed the name now. And we also try and encourage people who have an interest within the military to be part of the lodge. I mean, we've got officers within the lodge who haven't just served, they've got relatives who've been within the military. It's, it's open. We've got to have a percentage of military or ex-military, haven't we, yeah. to make it work. Otherwise, you, you come across some problems. But at the minute, the majority of people are ex-servicemen of all three arms and um, from lieutenant colonels. Oh, sorry, no, Royal Naval Captains. Yeah. All the way down to private soldiers. We, we don't we don't care what rank people are. Rank means nothing within Freemasons. We say we don't mean anything within the military. We, I don't think we've got any still serving, have we? Don't think so, no. Not yet. We've got a submariner who's looking for journey who is still serving. But the rest of us, our rank is just what we wear. It isn't something that we're always fighting. We don't call each other colonel and major and corporal and whatever. It, there was a there's a good thing actually. If I can just interject this about how the lodge is, and this is why we don't bother about rank. It was from an American officer describing the British, and he said those Brits are a strange old race. They show affection by abusing each other, and think nothing of casually shop, stopping in the middle of a firefight for their brewer and eat food that I wouldn't give for a dying dog. But hell, I would rather have one British squad on side than an entire battalion of specimens. Why? 
because the British are the only people in the world who, when the chips are down and there seems like no hope is left, instead of getting sentimental or hysterical, they strap on their kit, charge their rifle, lights the fight, and calmly and wryly grin. What are we going for then? Now, I've changed a couple of words in there. There's some words that I don't think you want broadcast. Which <laughs> is a Saturday morning, so thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, and let me ask you, so in, in Lodge itself, do you wear any military uh, insignia or is it is it just the normal dark suits and, and sonic regalia? A few of us wear our mesh dress. Those of us who can get in it still. This, <laughs> this lockdown hasn't helped on that side, so there's going to be a few diets going on, I think. We don't wear medals inside the Lodge, but we do wear miniature medals for the festive ball. We encourage wearing of regimental ties within the Lodge to show what regimental core ship quadrant you were attached to so there is that aspect and i don't want to reveal too much because we want people to come along and see ourselves but we do do them differently with a military slant on them that's one thing that we are particularly sharp on i mean the majority guys in there are already in a mother lodge so they've joined this one as a condition and uh, so they know what's going on so you find that guys are trying to the drill for want of a better description is sharp we've got a very very good director of ceremonies who was a company sergeant major so we're not allowed to look and mess about with our uh, perambulations shall we say by any stretch of the imagination i've never been so i'm going to ask you now so the next time that you do have a meeting would you please send me a summons because i'd love to come along and watch yes, please uh, you, you mentioned tie, uh, wearing regimental ties i was going to ask you kind of how you market it as well because if you take an example like the union of rugby lodge um who do a great job of advertising who they are and what they stand for i mean they've designed their own ties and, and other such things as well do you have a particular identity like that or do you do you just allow the different regiments to keep their identity well, they're allowed to keep their individual by, uh, identity we don't want to differentiate between that core colors are very strong things within the military particularly the armor you wouldn't want to wear somebody else's colours, particularly our, our uh, colours we probably start making them, but our DC, he wouldn't want to wear anybody else's colours, definitely not. So where and when, normal situation, do you meet? Is it all in Leicester? It is at the moment, and we have got no intention of changing that at the moment. With Covid, it's had a, a devastating effect on the province, so we're keeping our, province, our, our promise to province to uh, help support them. And, and usually, when do you meet? When would? How many times a year do you meet? At the moment, it's three times. So that would be installation in October, then meeting in January and May. With the ladies' night at the end of May. Yeah. So what are your hopes for the future of the Lodge? Where do you see it going? I mean, it's obviously still very new and early days, I guess. But where do you see it going in the future? Where would you like it to be in 10 years, 20 years' time? We obviously want to see the Lodge grow. And particularly with so many campaigns that have gone on now and all those, there's going to be a lot of veterans around seeking some kind of company and we're hoping that we can provide that. The problem we have with the Navy side of things is that Leicester's pretty well landlocked, so we're not going to get many ships within Leicester. We've got a couple of Navy reserves. We've got uh, the Met Grand Secretary, David Swain, who's a captain in the Royal Navy. He's Vice President of the Secretary of Service Lodges, so, which we're a member of. And you hopefully assist us with getting recruited in that way. It's been fantastic, actually. It's really helpful with that. But there's, um, there's a lot more that we could do. I mean, we're, we're contacting around the local reserve centres trying to get their interest. 
hopefully once we're all back up and running, we can start getting inviting those people into London Road to have a look around the centre, a bit of a, a mini open day, engage interest, perhaps organise a white table evening and get the local TA centres to come along. Got the big recap unit as well, which I picked up just on the other side of Loughborough as well. I do know in the past there's been quite a few. Freemasonry is quite popular within the military as well, so we're hoping to be able to tap those up and see if we can encourage people, even when they're posted over there, to come and uh, join our lodge, even if it is just for a couple of years while they're here on a posting. We also want to get a, a raiding party together because the sector service members as a travelling gathering. Which is currently in Middlesex. If we can get enough people together and go down there, we can bring it back to Leicester. So there are other military lodges then around the country. Are you in contact with them? Is there sort of a close-knit um, community between all these military lodges? Yeah, there's the Circuit of Service Lodges, which are all military lodges together. They have various things like trips over to Eeps every year, to the battlefields of the Somme and that. There's the Remembrance Parade, which gets all the military lodges together down at the Cenotaph in London, various other bits and pieces. Our main meeting was actually going to be uh, hosting the annual general meeting of the sector service lodges, but of course, COVID put a stop to that. And you mentioned talking about recruiting and uh, inviting people to the lodge. So as a sort of a parting message, uh, as it were, to any ex-military or military personnel that are listening, what would you like to say to them, you know, either as Freemasons, if they are, or even people that are listening that aren't Freemasons, because this podcast goes out to everybody? What would you like to say to them? I'd say if you're interested, get in touch. You'll be surprised. It'll be, it, it's fun. It's different. It's uh, the opportunity to drag up a sandbag, drink a lot of beer, and tell one another loads and loads of lies that can't be uh, checked. <laughs> Phil, anything to add to that? Yeah, absolutely what Jem says. It, we can go visiting other lodges, and sometimes it's very same and same. You see exactly the same, other than perhaps the deacons go a different way around the tracing boards. But when you come to Tudor Rose, things are very, very different. And the festive board is very different as well. It's good mirth, and all in good humour. And as if I allude back to that comment from the American officer, it's very, very true. We do insult each other as a term of endearment, and we all get a good laugh out of it. But it's all done very, very politely. <laughs> now, sadly, we do have to leave it there. Time is against us. Thank you so much for your time, especially on a Saturday morning to record this. You know, good luck with resuming the lodge activities as soon as we are able. So thanks for your time, guys. Thank, Thank you. you, Richard. Cheers, Richard. Take care.